The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. with us. It's guess a tune every week, and I am very, very much failing this year of what tunes are coming up, even though I, how many of y'all grew up on hymns in the church? Most hands grow up. Uh, you do this every week. There's a lot of pressure to get this right, so I just want you to know that. It's a tough calling up here. It really is. I invite your attention this morning to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20. Um, if you're visiting with us, we just closed out a series through the book of 1 John. Uh, it took us through most of the summer, midsummer till just last week, 9-11, and now we are in an 11-week study of the Ten Commandments. You say, Darren, didn't, weren't we just going to do one week, one commandment? We were, but we have to give some purpose, some intro for you, if you will. So today's sermon is going to be more topical. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we usually don't do a lot of topical sermons. What I mean by that is we don't usually just pick a topic and run with it. We start at a verse and we just go phrase by phrase, word by word, and, and do it exegetically, expositionally is the big word. So today, what is the purpose of the law? And then after that, for the next 10 weeks, if you can believe this, 10 weeks, 11 weeks from today is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, so I hope you have your Christmas list ready. Uh, it is all coming very quickly. So uh, we will do one commandment a week. And what I want to share with you before we even start this is it is going to be a very uh, microscopic look at the commandments and to know that we are going to be looking at these and yet not even really touch the depths of them. Uh, each week, I'm going to recommend to you a guy by the name of Thomas Watson. Is there any golf fans in here? Any golf fans? This is not Tom Watson, the senior citizen golf player. This is Thomas Watson, the Puritan, the old dead guy, who wrote probably the premier version of what it means to know the Ten Commandments. We'll print out a little excerpt for you and put it online so you can read about it. Because, friends, there is so much you could do through the Ten Commandments, literally so much. How many of y'all have ever heard a series over the Ten Commandments before? Uh, two hands go up, and you, thou shalt not lie, so uh, raise your hands. But uh, I'm just kidding. But uh, it is very rare, and I don't say that to trump or, on, or toot our own horn, but it's very rare to do one commandment a week because it really gets detailed, folks. We're going to be talking about topics such as uh, what do we do with images of Jesus on the wall? Should we have those? Why do we worship in a certain way that we do? What is lust? What is adultery? What is mur- Is it okay to defend yourself? Uh, boy, uh, some of you are already ready to jump forward to week six. Uh, but, you know, stay tuned. And I do not promise anything except we are going to look at what the Word of God says. I don't want this to be a pastor's opinion, a cultural opinion. I want to know what the Word of God says. That's what we're here to do. So Exodus chapter 20. And if you're visiting with us, you uh, are welcome to use the Blue Bibles up front. Exodus is the second book. Uh, it's the second book. Chapter numbers are the big numbers. Verse numbers are the small numbers. But before we get there... That's a little commercial before the intro, so intro two is this. Uh, A few years ago, I picked up a book uh, by the name, uh, well, I'll tell you the name of it in a minute, but it's not a Christian book, but it has this guy on it that you'll see up here on the screen. In fact, the author describes himself as an agnostic, not denying that there's a God, but believing there's a possibility that there is or isn't. He says, I'm officially Jewish, but I'm Jewish the same way that the Olive Garden is officially an Italian restaurant. Okay, (laughs) you can see where this is going. 
And the premise of the book is a very secular New Yorker with no religious upbringing, but Jewish heritage who attempts to follow every rule of the Bible as literally as possible for an entire year. Has anyone ever read this book before? Has anyone ever heard of this book before? Wow. Um, he starts out by reading the Bible for a month, and he writes down every single directive that he finds, both big and small. And you can imagine that's a lot. That includes the Ten Commandments, but it also includes the dietary laws and, and, and ritual cleanliness. So, as you can imagine, the outcome's pretty entertaining. For example, Leviticus says that men should leave the edges of their beards uh, unshaven. So, this guy ends up shaving and ends, stops shaving and ends up looking like a guy from ZZ Top, if you want to use that, if you know that thing. He stops wearing clothes made of mixed fibers. He plays a ten-stringed harp during his year. He refuses to shake hands with women. Uh, he also tries to find little pebbles to fling at people in case they're lusting in adultery so he can stone them. Uh, and that's what he does. And as you can imagine, this drives his wife crazy. The book reveals, I think, that most people feel the same way like this man's wife. Darren, we're in the 21st century. Why are we talking about ancient law? It feels restrictive, out of date, and backwards. I don't know if you've ever felt that way about church. Maybe you have. I felt that way as a teenager about church. I didn't want it because it was about laws and do this and don't do that, and not much about grace and who Christ was. I don't, has anyone ever felt like that before? Thou shalt not lie, so you can raise your hands. It's okay. But, you know, some of you are probably here today, maybe because someone has brought you this far. Maybe a friend has been bugging you to come, and you're here to get them off your back. Maybe you don't want to get close, but because you know the next thing, you're going to be wearing a Jesus t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy, and singing songs that say, God bless you every time someone sneezes. Maybe that's how you feel about the Ten Commandments. I don't know. But this man, and you'll have to read the book, he went absolutely nuts trying to do this, and I recommend the book to you. The book is called How to the Year of Living Biblically by A.J. Jacobs. It's not a Christian book, but it's a unique take on what it means to know this. And you know, many of you here today may not be excited about me telling you a bunch more stuff you should be doing. And you say, you know, Darren, uh, ignorance is probably bliss, and the less I know, the less guilty I feel about this. Perhaps that's where you are today. But friends, I want to show you through this whole series, as we do our intro today, as we read a little bit, I want to show you that the Ten Commandments are not a path to bondage, but literally they are a path to freedom. Not by getting salvation through the commandments, but by knowing that the design and why they are there and how they're designed. It, it, they're kind of like the owner's manual, if you all have those DVD players. Some of you have your DVD players where the, the midnight or the 12 o'clock keeps flashing for the last 10 years since you bought it. Because you don't want to open up the owner's manual and figure out how to stop the flashing. Amen. You never know. And the Ten Commandments are kind of like that. There's more to it than appears to meet the eye. And these commandments show us what's wrong with our heart, and then these commandments give us clues about how to fix it. And this is going to be life and salvation for you. Here's the promise I will promise you through this study, is that if you understand these commandments properly, they will be a gateway to fulfillment, purpose, freedom, and joy in Christ in your life. Not to get to heaven by the commandments, but because of what they stand for. Deuteronomy 32, 47 says this. You'll see it up on the screen. At the end of the time of Moses... God gave uh, Moses these words. He said, It is no empty word for you, but these are your very life. What are these? They're the commandments. And so what I want to do in this introductory message, I want to show what the, the commandments today do in your life and what they don't do. Friends, I don't want to heap on you more law just so you can be more law-keeping Christians. That's not our goal here today. 
But because just as important as knowing what these commandments are, you need to know how to use them. Do you know that 92% of Americans, and Bob Painter, I don't know if you're here, but Bob is a stats guy, and Bob, Bob has good results on stats, but 92% of Americans cannot even come up with one of the Ten Commandments. Can you? On the count of three, I want you to yell out a commandment. Are you ready? One, two, yeah, thou shalt not lie. I've given you one already, Nick. You ready? One, two, three. Thou shalt not lie. There you go. I don't know what you said, but I hope it was right. But friends, not knowing how to use these commandments is exactly what led the Palestinians, the Jews, and the Romans to crucify Christ back in his day. They knew the law backwards and forwards, but they didn't know how to use it. And that's what I want to start with today. Why is the law important? Are we still obligated to keep it as Christians today? And what does this practically have to do with me today are the questions we're going to try and answer. And here's the big idea. If you're visiting with us, the big idea is just simply a kind of a rifle shot summary thesis type statement of everything we're going for in our sermon today. And this is what it is. Since Jesus finishes the law to the utmost of its demands, he can achieve salvation to the utmost of our need. That's exactly what Christ did for us. And friends, this law that we're going to talk about is one that points the finger at you, but the gospel is the one that extends you the hand of grace. Whatever God demands of his children in the law, he supplies for them in the gospel eternally. The law says, I honor God, so he will love me, but the gospel says, God loves me, so I will honor him. Do you see that difference? So today, we're going to look at three things. We're Baptists. That's what we do, right? We're going to look at three things today. What is the purpose of the law? Three quick things you'll see up on the screen. First, the law is going to show us that it saves us out from slavery, not leading us back into it. Secondly, we are going to see that it reveals the three-in-one, the triune, the Trinity God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons to us. And thirdly, it's going to show our hearts as they are, but does not save us. Let me be absolutely clear from the get-go. If you're not a Christian here today, you can keep laws till you're blue in the face, but it will never take you to heaven. Only Christ can do that. So friends, this is where we are today. And so with that in mind, if you'll join me in standing for Exodus chapter 20, we're just going to read a few verses. Like I said, we're going to be hopping around. So keep your, if you're a Kindle person or an iPhone person, swipe it. If you're a paper person, get out your Bible sword drills, and we're going to be flipping a lot today, okay? So Exodus chapter 20, I just want to read the first two verses a couple times. First two verses, Exodus 20, 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Again, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Will you pray with me, please, as we start off this morning? Father, it's very interesting to see how many Americans, not necessarily in our church, but even on informal surveys, do not even know one commandment of yours, or the percentage is even smaller, perhaps, of those who could list them in order among Christians and non-Christians from number one to number ten. Father, it's not just about memorization, but it is the application of this law today. Father, as we delve into your word, as we talk about the, the big picture of your Bible from the law to the gospel, I pray that you would be honored and glorified. Father, not just so we can be heaping upon as the, as the Judaizers did back in Paul's day, more laws to keep, but Father, through the laws revealed that you would teach us grace through Jesus Christ and what that means to us as an individual and what it means to us in the corporate body of Christ here at the local church at Tower View and other like-minded churches here and around the world. Father, thank you for each one here. We pray that you would be honored by what is said here today and done here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Again, the first thing I want to talk about is, uh, is just coming up. What is the purpose of the law? What, what is it here to do? It's here first off. It saves us from slavery, and it does not lead us into it. You know, most people think the opposite today if you were to ask, why, do people, why keep the law? Why is this important? But these are what God gave Israel to bring them out of bondage and to keep them free. That's what you saw in those first two verses of Exodus 20. To, but to get the really big point of this, we need a little theology lesson. And you say, Darren, what's theology? Theology is the study of God. You know, we have, um, I don't know, a lot of ologies out there. Sportsology, is that even an ology? Sportsology, the study of sports, or um, uh, I, you can know different things. But Exodus is the second book in a five-volume And in volume one, Genesis, Moses writes, Genesis, and Moses is the author of Genesis, writes down about the original creation of mankind. We're going to go back to the beginning for a second. And God creates the world as a reflection of himself. And what happens, folks? What happens after that? We kind of get messed up, don't we, a little bit. And, but do you remember what God said repeatedly when he created things? What, would, what did he say? God created it, and it was, it was good. Creation was a state of perfect peace and harmony that the Jewish theologians call shalom, which means peace, literally. But man ended up rejecting God's rule, and creation goes into total disarray. Sin brings a curse, and everything starts unraveling like a, a Christmas present at Christmas with a kid ready just to rip it all apart. And first, we lose our relationship with God. We are now separated from God. There's a separation between us. And our relationships are so cursed that the first brothers, you remember who they were? Cain and Abel. And of course, uh, one of them dies in that. Uh, and our bodies are cursed. We start, we start to deteriorate. We start to succumb to disease. And we get fat and bald all in the process as we do that. You can imagine it. And the earth itself is cursed. There are thorns, there are thistles, there are tsunamis. There's everything under the sun. But God chooses, chooses rather to save the world through one particular man. Do you remember who that was? It was Noah, perhaps, but even greater than that, a particular man named Abraham. And Abraham was chosen by God and told that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky. And God eventually brings Abraham and his family down to Egypt, and for the next 425 years exactly, the Israelites stay in Egypt in slavery. And that may seem weird that a million people would do that. But what we learn is that the reason for this is that the political slavery they were under Pharaoh in was a spiritual slavery to sin that we would be in for the rest of our lives. It's a picture of that. So after 425 years, God uses a stuttering, mousy-voiced guy named Moses to deliver Israel. And and just as an aside, you know that we get the picture all wrong. How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments movie before, Charleston Heston? Uh, it is what it is. It's a great movie. It's not always necessarily biblical, but it's, it's a good classic film. And we picture Charles Heston or Moses kind of like this big booming voice saying, let my people go, or Val Kilmer Batman-like, let my people go. <laughs> but really, Exodus makes it very clear that Mo- Moses was weak in speech, and we don't know if that meant he stuttered, he had a feminine-type voice or a lisp, but you can almost hear him say, let my people go. You know, you better... Because I'm going to let, I'm going to stomp you down, you know. Or, we don't know, but God used him nonetheless. And Pharaoh says, "Well, now what exactly would? I, why would I do that?" And Moses throws down a stick, and it turns into a snake, and it ends up eating up all of Pharaoh's people. But friends, the big deal is, is that God is preparing His people to go out. And you know the story, don't you? Most of you, that the Nile turns to blood, and 
the plagues come and the natural ecosystem of the Nile goes. There's frogs, there's gnats, there's boils, there's all this stuff. But what is happening? What is happening before your very eyes, before the law comes officially? Creation is unraveling. Everything is going opposite of what it should. In Genesis 1, God makes creation good. Here, creation is breaking down. In Genesis 1, God brings order out of chaos. Now we have order descending into chaos. And God's showing that when we disobey him, everything goes haywire. Everything goes crazy. And these commandments, friends, that we are going to study are not commandments that should lead you to slavery like the Egyptians had Israel under, but they should be the restoration of the rule of God in your life. And this is the first application point for you. The law says, I must prove something from within myself, but the gospel says, I receive something from beyond myself. That's what the gospel says. I receive something from beyond myself. Look, these people tried to keep the laws for hundreds of years, and it never saved one of them. Friends, if we were saved by the law, then Christ came in vain. I hope you know that. This gospel is something that has come from beyond yourself. It was not something you could well up within you by your sincerity or good works. If you're a Christian here to, or not a Christian here today, friends, you can never be good enough to go get to heaven. Not ever, ever be good enough. If you could take one bad thing that you've done, James chapter 2 verse 10 says that the law is enough to convict you for everything else that you've done in your life. But the gospel is amazing. It's not something we did. It's all something Christ did. But even though the gospel has come, these commandments, these Ten Commandments, are going to lead us not into slavery to continue to keep the law to get to heaven, but freedom to follow God under His grace, by His Spirit, for His glory in our lives. That's what it's all about. So obeying the commandments is freedom. Obeying them puts you in harmony with the creation and creator, just like the original design was. Think of it like a fish. I couldn't find a Dory, Dory, is it Dory, Dora? Oh, Dora's the uh, explorer. That's a different, different thing. But think of it like a fish. You don't set a fish free by taking it out of water, do you? Perhaps you do if you want to eat it, but you don't say, poor fish, always kept in water. We want you to experience what we get to experience. And so you put it on the road and you say, go fish, go, go, go. I hope you don't do that because the fish is going to die, quite frankly. The fish is designed to be in water, and it's freest when it's in the water. So some of you say, you say, well, Darren, what are you saying? These verses we read out of Exodus and others we'll look at today, they don't feel like freedom to me. In fact, they feel very restrictive. They feel very, very restrictive. Friends, we have an assumption in our culture that if something doesn't feel right right away, immediately, right off the bat, it has to be wrong. But Woody Allen, the great theologian, said this. He said, the heart's wants what it wants. And if you deny what you want, then you're betraying your heart and you'll never be happy. Woody Allen and many others in our culture have that belief, and that's pretty absurd when you think about it. And I'll prove it to you. In the morning when the alarm clock goes off, how do you feel? What feels right when that alarm clock goes off? Anyone in here just feel like jumping up immediately? I know uh, there's probably some peppy people in here. Tori, Tori Scanlon, you are our resident cheerleader. You are probably the only one that makes this happen every day. But friends, five more minutes, you keep hitting the snooze button, right? Amen? Five minutes turns into an hour and a half, and you're late for work and everything else. There's got to be a point at which you say, I can't do this any longer. Because even though staying in bed may feel right for a moment, doing that will end up causing you to lose many things in your life, not the least of which is your sanity, Probably your job. If you have a job that lets you show up an hour and a half late, praise the Lord, right? 
But you know what? You'll feel sluggish all day. Would that really be freedom for you just to hit the snooze button over and over and over? Eventually it's going to come back. Friends, if in that situation you only did what you felt like doing, you would actually lose freedoms, not gain them by not getting up. Does that make sense? What about this other one? When you exercise, and this is how some of you feel when you exercise, your body tells you to quit, doesn't it? It tells you to quit. I've run many marathons. I can tell you that your body tells you to quit when you know you've trained it better, even though your mind is saying otherwise. You know you need to tell your body to be quiet, to shut up, and do the extra set, because if you don't, you're going to die someday. We don't think of it like that in the moment, but it's true, isn't it? And here's the crazy thing. Some of us pay people to make us exercise. I might pay a person to yell at me because I know if I don't, I'll never do that extra stuff. Say, Darren, what is the point? Let me give you one more example, and I'll I'll close this out about why the commandments are actually freedom, not slavery. It's kind of like when you go into a restaurant, and I'm not promoting this particular restaurant, but it's a familiar one. Um, uh, And this actually, this did actually come out. McDonald's did suggest to their workers a few years ago, you better not eat our food for long because it's not good for your health. Well, uh, amen to that. But uh, when you go to the restaurant, don't your nostrils fill up with all the aromas that are there? And you say to yourself, these are wonderful things, and I just want to eat it all. I feel that way almost all the time at our potlucks because we have some great cooks in our church. But you have to say to yourself, no, I will be disciplined. I will not eat this. I'll go to the salad bar, stuff my plate with alfalfa spouse and garbanzo beans to make up for all the other stuff I've eaten. That never really happens to me. I hope it happens to you. But friends, what is the point of all this? Why are all these illustrations? We know that when the body, what my body desires is not always best. And so we subject our desires and our heart to our minds because our minds know what will give us true freedom. We have to fight that sometimes. You know, you see medical doctors, they've studied how the physical body works, but God understands how the soul works and how your heart works. And these commandments, friends, are not just laws written to make you feel the weight of burden of sin, and they should point you to Christ. But really, if we obey them as we will study, we will find freedom that we have never found before. Why is that? Because following these commands is how we find purpose, enjoyment, freedom. Because obeying God is life. Didn't we just study that? Friends, sometimes when we come to the Bible, we see that it's very hard to follow, isn't it? It really is. Jesus, remember the man in Matthew, I believe it was Matthew 19, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you remember what Jesus told him? He said, what did he ask him? Have you kept the commandments? Yes. And he said, yes, I've kept all these since I was a a little guy, a little boy at least, or a Jewish boy. And and what did Jesus tell him? He said, well, go and sell all your, uh, you remember the story, go sell all your stuff to the poor. And he said, and he went away sad. Why? Because he couldn't do it. And he said, Jesus went on to say, and the disciples, uh, he said, uh, Jesus said it was harder for a man to enter the eye of, a rich man to enter the eye of a needle than it is for them to go to heaven, basically, or a camel to enter the eye of a needle than a rich man to go to heaven. And the disciples said, well, if that's the standard, then who can be saved? And that's where that famous quote that's often taken out of context comes in. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Friends, you are not saved by the commandments. They point you to Christ. But when you know Christ, it is a willing thing to follow him, even though it's hard to obey the questions like he asked that rich young ruler. The commandments do not lead to slavery. They lead, actually, to freedom. That's the first point. Let's go on to number two. I told you we're going to pop around here. This is more of an overview, topical, than anything else. But what else? What, what's the purpose of the law? They, okay, Darren, they don't lead us to slavery. They lead us to freedom. But what else? They reveal who God is. 
They reveal who God is. They reveal the three-in-one God to us. Friends, in this point of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, God had just brought the Egypt, uh, or the, uh, the Israelites rather, out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Uh, friends, was, let me take an aside here. This was actually the literal Red Sea. This wasn't um, some Hollywood thing. This was actually the Red Sea. Please don't believe liberal theologians that tell you otherwise. The whole point of the Exodus is that people might know God. That was the whole point. This is not a God of Egypt that can be worshipped but with a dietary sacrifice. This was not a God who could have a statue made out to him. In fact, God will tell us in the second commandment that you're not to make an idol out of anything, whether on earth or sea or under the sea. But this is another thing that the movies get wrong. The Exodus was not just about getting out of freedom and slavery. That's part of it. That's a sub-goal. The goal of it is that these people might once and for all know their God. And so God introduces himself to them, and he does so in a pretty awesome and terrible way. If you were to go back over uh, in, verse nine, in chapter 19, I'm just giving you the overview. Again, big sermon topic today. If you were to go in chapter 19, God introduces himself. He descends on the mountain, and the mountain gets covered with fire and smoke. Maybe you remember this and the trumpet blast, and there's an earthquake, and another trumpet blast, and the people are terrified, and the perimeter is shaking, and Moses goes up there for 40 days and disappears. And do you remember what the people do? What do they end up doing? They make a golden what? Golden calf, don't they? Because they, they say to themselves, well, uh, this Moses guy has gone, therefore we have to make something that it resembles God. So they make a bull, a calf, something like that. And Aaron is kind of like a middle school kid. And they, he said, yeah, the calf just kind of popped out of the fire. I really don't know where it came from. Uh, it's crazy. But what was the point of all this stuff? And the Ten Commandments we're going to study, friends, just like everything in the Bible, it is about God's revelation of himself. This Bible is not just about you and me, friends. In fact, it's about God. You won't find many verses in here about you and me necessarily, but you'll find a lot about who God is. Amen. And that is what it's about. God's revelation of his character, his face, his beauty, his holiness, and his righteousness. And obeying these commandments is a way of participating in the very character of God. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're studying 1 Peter in Sunday school. And I wrote a note to myself uh, as I was preparing this week is that if you're not in a Sunday school class, can I encourage you? We have a whole list of them on Sunday mornings at 9. We also have small groups that meet throughout the week. Talk to myself. Uh, Matt uh, or Gilbert or any of us will be glad to help you point that way. Go to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Sunday schoolers, we just, uh, small groupers, we just did this a couple weeks ago. But it says this in the ESV. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. Why do we follow the commandments, friends? They tell us about who God is, but it's commanded of us. That word called there is a royal decree. It's a decree given before the foundation of the world. It's a call given to specific people at a specific time. It's not some, oh, hey, if you want to follow me, I'm this God that you might come follow. This is a specific call, a a summons. Uh, I don't know what other word to throw at it, but he says, as God who called you is holy. He's set apart. He's different. There's none like him. You also be set apart, different, and follow the one in all your conduct that there's none like. How do we do that? We do that through the commandments to some degree. Now I want you to flip over a couple of books to 1 John. Flip over to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3, 3. We were just here a few weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago. But 1 John 3, 3. What is the purpose of the law? It tells us who God is. 
So Peter tells us we're to follow the commandments because we're to be holy as God is holy. And John goes on in chapter 3, verse 3. He says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The hoping there and the purifying himself starts with obeying who God is. Friends, you can have a lot of hopes in this life. If seeing and being with God is your greatest hope, then your makeup of your heart is going to be just like his. You want to follow that hope. If you don't pursue these things that God says to pursue in his word, the commandments and other things, then it means you have some other hope. You're like this guy, this ladder, climbing up this ladder right here. This is how many Americans spend their lives. Uh, they say that millennials, my generation, remember I'm just on that edge. My wife, she, uh, she was helping in the nursery. You're in the Gen X, babe. I love you. Uh, just a tad older than I am. I'm joking with her, by the way. We joke a lot. But whatever you are in, it used to be that you spent, what, 40 years with the company, didn't it? It used to be that you would climb the ladder by taking steps. You would, do, you would spend 12 hours at a job in hopes that someone would see how hard you work and work up that ladder. And today, people are climbing that ladder five years at one company, five years at another, in the hopes that you'll be like that guy throwing money everywhere just like that. Friends, if you're pursuing career success or six-digit income and early retirement and material achievement, then what you prize is money. But if what you most prize is God, then what you pursue is just what we read in these verses. It's holiness. It's set-apartness. Why? Because you want to be that weird guy with the beard walking around like New York City guy at the first? No. It's because the only reason you obey the commandments is because God tells you to. And if the only reason on the negative side you obey the commandments is because you're afraid you'll be punished or humiliated if you don't, and not because you love the good and pureness of who God is, then that shows your real problem is you and that you don't love God for who he really is. Friends, following God's commandments should not be, it should be a weighty thing in the sense that you are remembering God, but slip over to chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We were just here a couple weeks ago. 1 John chapter 5. Following the commandments does not lead to salvation, it leads to holiness. But here, in verse chapter 5, verse 3, or, or let's start in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his what? His commandments. Whoa, no, 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 no. But the Old Testament's done and gone. Friends, but we'll get there in just a minute. There is a part of the law that continues on. It's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. And he goes on to say, John does, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And here's the point. His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not like a heavy weight of rock. Or if you're into lifting, it's not like a, what is that, the deadlift, where you put that on, or the squat deadlift, the squat, where you put on all that weight, you go down and up. Friends, it's almost like you have a five-pound bar, but it looks like a 6,000-pound bar when you walk with Christ. Does that make sense? And I, that's about all I lift is a five-pound bar because that's all I can do anymore. But you know what? What's the point? Friends, the point about the commandments is they reveal God for who he is. And if we love him, we will do these commandments because these are what he is like. If you want to be like Christ, you follow the commandments. And, and then the question comes up, okay, Darren, what commandments are they? We'll get there in just a second. Get there in just a second. And that's actually our third point, or almost our third point. But what law do we follow today? I mean, Darren, come on. There were laws about having mixed fibers. I know, is that polyester? Polyester was a thing of the 60s, right? Uh, does anyone still have polyester pants out there or uh, uh, whatever, or bell bottoms or any of that stuff? According to the Old Testament, you're not supposed to be wearing those. What about shellfish? What about eating things like that? 
I mean, the thing we hear in the New Testament is that Christ freed us from the law, and we're not under the law, but grace, and we know that there are some strange laws we don't do anymore. Like, again, wearing polyester might be a fashion sin today, but it's not a moral one anymore, according to God's law. So the question is, which laws, pastor, of the 614 must we follow? If the Old Testament is ripe with these, uh, you know, I figure that the murder command probably still applies, right? And probably adultery and the Sabbath and the tithe and honoring your parents. But, but pastor, really, what laws still apply? Well, here, let's get into that. There are three types of laws in the Old Testament, friends, that you need to be aware of. And I want to detail those for you because this is very practical to you. Because there's a lot of skeptics out there that will say, Christianity doesn't make any sense because you're not following the Old Testament law. Let me just, can I chase a rabbit for two minutes? Can I have that grace? About a year ago when the decision was made by our Supreme Court to redefine in our land what marriage is, it's now anything really that you want except with beasts and within families. When we redefine marriage from one man to one woman, what, what a lot of people used to quote and what they would argue with Christians is, well, Christians aren't supposed to eat shellfish, or Christians aren't supposed to wear polyester pants, or Christians aren't supposed to do this, that, and the other. And how do you answer that? It's in the Bible. And, and pastor, don't you preach every week that the Bible is God's word and, you know, A to Z, it's who God is? Yes, we do. But friends, there are types of laws that we believe have been fulfilled in Christ, and there is one type of law, the moral law, that continues on. This is how you answer those skeptics. First, there is a ceremonial law. The ceremonial law prefigured Christ through symbols and ceremonies. These are things that you see throughout the Old Testament. These are rituals uh, that pointed to Christ, the feasts, the festivals, the grain festivals, all those. But when Christ has come, we are no longer under the ceremonial law. It's gone, guys. That's why we don't celebrate um, those Old Testament things. Look, when you got the real thing, you don't need a plastic replica. I, I pray, you know, this is not just one of those decoder rings that you find in a cracker box jacks. This is real. Uh, you know, on April 3rd, 2010, my wife and I sealed the deal. Uh, and we're continuing to grow in God's grace. This is not a replica. God has given us new ceremonies, in a sense, to replace the old ones. Think about the Lord's Supper. We did this last week. The Lord's Supper, communion, represents symbolically what Christ has done for us. But we no longer have to keep the Old Testament ceremony laws. What about civil order? What about civil laws? You know, Israel was a state, wasn't it? Israel was a country, it is today, but back in the Old Testament, it was a theocratic. What I mean by that is God was king, and he let a king rule over them. But friends, we no longer have to order the laws around that Israel had back then, the civil laws. There is only one law that continues on today, and what is that? It's the moral law. It's the moral law, the Ten Commandments. Because again, The moral law reveals God's character. It reveals who he is. These commandments give us a window into the heart of God. They show us his face. For example, God still loves purity. Did you know that? God still cares about your heart and being pure before him. God still loves honesty. I know in a political cycle that we're getting into in the next 60 days, that doesn't always seem to be the case, but God loves honesty. God still loves how he designed sex to work within the confines of marriage and not a one-night stand, not an adulterous affair, not a, a lust fest through pornography on the internet. God has designed it a certain way. Tithing might have been part of the law, but it also reveals God's plan to us. That, that is something that we see, and that's a whole other study, that giving the, the local work of the, the Lord, 1 Corinthians 16, and other places, setting aside that. 
Friends, our status under the law has changed. We are no longer bound by the law for salvation, but the God of the laws has not changed. You say, well, some of them offend me, Darren. Some of these laws offend me. Of course they offend you. Think about this. Do you want God to be just like you? That's a scary thought, especially when I think of myself. What is fascinating is is observing how these laws that we see in the Old Testament, friends, are offend different culture in different ways. In America, we are offended in a sexually perverse culture about what the Bible says about sexual purity and justice. And I lived in a culture in Mexico for a while where they weren't offended by much at all. They really weren't. But the stuff about loving your enemies and God becoming a man, that offended some of them because they didn't believe that was possible. You are not the first person to be offended by God's law. But as I've often told you and will often say, the Bible is an equal, it's an EOO. It's an equal opportunity employer or something like that. E, offender, that's the word I'm looking for. Friends, the Bible, it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates, the richest man, or you are the poorest person and in Calcutta, India, served by the remnants of Mother Teresa's ministry there. The law shows us who God is, and it reveals to us our need for a Savior. So that's where that's at. Christian, do you follow God because you love Him and want to be more like Him? Or do you follow God because it is the thing that a Christian should do? Is your heart said on God, no matter what it means to me, I want to stand for you in a culture. I want to be holy, set apart. I want to be different. I want to be holy, Lord, as you are holy, because that reveals to the world who you are. Is that your prayer this morning? Let's close on the last point. The laws keep us out of slavery. They don't lead us into it. The law reveals God to us. And finally, thirdly, the commandments reveal the state of our hearts, but they don't provide salvation. They don't provide salvation. Um, Go back to the book of Galatians, just a few books back. If you need to use the index to look this up, please feel free. There's no shame in doing that. Go back uh, to the left, a few books to Galatians chapter 3. This is the passage that Matt read for us. Matt, thank you for reading it. And Matt, we are grateful that God got you through another lock-in, brother. And uh, praise God for that. God is good. And uh, no one was hurt, injured, or uh, anything else. So, and uh, yes, but uh, you pray for our youth. Uh, God is doing a great work in our youth. And we praise God for Matt as you're turning to Galatians. Just pray for him and pray for the workers. And we are so grateful for all that they do for us. Galatians chapter 3, verses 21 and 24. Friends, the law, this is what it does. Matt read this. I want to read it again. Is the law, Paul says, verse 21, then contrary to the promises of God? What does he say? Certainly not. How dare you? How could you say such a thing? For if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, verse 22, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And I'll jump down to verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we could be justified by faith. Friends, this is what separates us from, with respect, the Catholic Church. We are not saved by keeping part of the law and adding on to it. This is what separates us from Mormons. This is what separates us from Judaism. We are not saved by keeping the law. But do you know what the law does in your heart? It shows it for what it is. The law is a mirror to your soul. It is. If when you came to Christ, someone shared with you the bad news about what happens when you sin. I hope they did. If you just share that Jesus loves you, you have only given half of the medicine necessary for someone to come to Christ. It is, it is a great thing to say Jesus loves you. Does Jesus love you, church? Amen. You better believe that. Or we're done. 
But you have to share the bad news. What is the bad news? The bad news is if you transgress, if you go against one of God's laws, then that is it. The whole book's thrown at you and you stand condemned before him. But the great thing about God's grace is, is that the law was like a tutor, a schoolmaster, as other translations say. It points us to the very things that God wants us to do, and that is to find faith in Jesus Christ. Look, some of these laws, I'll be honest with you, feel restrictive, like a cage. We don't always desire to tell the truth, do we? Honey, how's this look on me? I'm going to leave that one alone. My wife is always beautiful, by the way, and she always looks good in whatever she wears because she is pretty inside and out, and that is the truth. Good save, right? <laughs> Friends, if these commandments reveal beauty and holiness, then they should show that my heart is, is, is full of depravity. These, these, be- these commandments are beautiful. They are. It's, it's almost like when someone, you, you know these people, that you seem to be having a good time. It's like the lifeguard at the pool when you're having fun and you're dunking each other and everything else. And then here comes that whistle, right? And they just shake your finger like that. You're like, we're just trying to have fun over here. That's how many of us feel about this. Because they show our hearts for what they are. What do our hearts naturally want to do? They want to buck against God. They want to go against everything that he is. So the law cannot do two things. First off, the law cannot, cannot give you a righteous record, friend. The law cannot give you a righteous record. Think about this. Have, commandment number one, have no other gods but me. How many of you naturally love God supremely in everything that you do, every second of every day, knowing and obeying? Friends, we get more excited about a new romance or a new job promotion or uh, even a TV program that we ever do sometimes about the living God. How about commandment number four? This is really going to cut deep. I'm not preaching this Sunday. Dr. Johnson from the seminary will be October 9th at our church picnic, I believe it is, Darlene. October 9th is our all-church picnic. Dr. Johnson's preaching on this one. He's going to get to have fun with this, all right? Commandment number four. How many of you all, how many of us treat the, the Sabbath just as another day instead of setting it apart as one day out of seven that is holy? Yikes. Uh, I'll get the shield up now because it, what does that mean? What about commandment number five, honoring your parents? Have you always been submissive to your parents and God-ordained authorities? Have you, what about commandment number six, don't kill? You might give yourself a pass on this one. Pastor, I've never murdered anyone, but Jesus said if you have hate in your heart and desire to hurt someone, it's almost, it's not almost, it is like you've murdered them, according to him on the Sermon on the Mount. So these rules, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. These rules, these laws do not save us or give us a righteous record. Friends, we are completely ruined by sin. But most of us say, I'm a good person. Compared to whom? Not compared to the law. And remember the scene of what is happening here. Friends, this mountain is a picture of who God is. God and his holiness is before this mountain and he's giving this law out and all these thunderous things are going on. And God says, not one of you is good enough to get there. Not one, not even one. Habakkuk or Habakkuk 1.13 says, you, you who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows a man of righteousness? Habakkuk says the same thing that's being said across the Bible, that if God suddenly ripped the roof off your house and you looked up to his face, you would immediately die. That's what the law shows us. Well, but pastor, I've done a lot of good things. No, you've just covered them up and tried to mask them. 
Friends, the law cannot give us a righteous record. Only Christ can do that. If you're not here, can I encourage you that you are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by His grace alone, by trusting and repenting and believing in Him. Nothing more, nothing less. That is the gospel, church. Amen? The law can't give you a righteous record. I'll say the second way. The law can't give you a righteous desire. Friend, the law has a fundamental problem. It can't give us the power to do what it commands. The law is like a set of railroad tracks. We know we need to stay on the tracks in order to function. Our, our house is full of Thomas the Train, if you ever come over. And we just ordered a Gordon yesterday for Simeon. Uh, but we have no power to move on our own. So no matter how eloquently or forcefully we preach the law, it can never restructure our hearts and move us along the tracks apart from the saving grace of God and the gospel found in Jesus Christ. We can make resolutions. Uh, are you still doing your New Year's resolutions? I don't know. You can buckle down. You can decide to be radical in all your obedience. I'm going to do this thing for Jesus. But that can never change us. Friends, Galatians 3.24 says again, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Friends, you cannot, the law cannot give you a righteous record before God. The law cannot give you a righteous desire. Only Christ can do that. But here's two quick things that Christ can do. What does Jesus give us, friends? He does give us a righteous record. Aren't you grateful for that? That all your sins have been forgiven in him. Jesus absorbed, we sang about this, the fury of the wrath of God in our place. Everything we deserve. God is righteous, he's just, and it was absorbed on that cross. We do not have to re-crucify Christ every time we meet. In fact, all of the fury was put on him. Friends, Jesus took the cup of God's wrath. He took the cup that we deserve, that the law demanded for our sin, and he said, it is finished. He didn't say it's 98% finished. He didn't say, I hope this is happening. He said, it is finished. It's like a financial transaction. It's, it's that great hope that most of us have as mortgage owners someday when we get that, uh, that note that says paid in full, right? Hopefully before 30 years and hopefully before 50. But Jesus did it in a second, and that was it. Church, listen, God is not just after obedience. He's after a new kind of obedience. And this new kind of obedience comes from the love and delight in God, not from the threats of the law. Look, every parent or teacher knows that coercing a child's behavior through fear of punishment is shallow and short-lived. It gets it for the moment, but it only lasts until the kid is in your presence, doesn't it? Shallow and short-lived is not what God wants. He wants an obedience that comes from delight in simply knowing Him and the Son gave you life. Christian is... Christ delightful to you? Is he the desire of your heart, of hearts? He wants the kind of faithfulness I want my wife to give to me and she wants me to her. I don't want my wife to be faithful to me because she fears punishment or embarrassment. I want her to stay with me because she knows that I love her, because she is enamored with my boyish good looks, as I know you know I have. Just kidding. My snappy wit, which you know I don't have, and my studly physique, which you definitely know I don't have. And my wife is shaking her head no, so that is true. But how does God create a delight-filled obedience? Friend, it's through faith in what Jesus has done. How do you live for Jesus when the Bible says that you want nothing more than to live for yourself? You live for it, not out of fear, but through faith in what Jesus has done. Friends, that is what it is. Many of us think that if we get it all right, then God will accept you. Friends, that is not true. You cannot get it right. Jesus got it right. He was the only one that said it right. He's the only one that can place it right. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. Jesus himself got it right. 
And therefore, he gives you, secondly, and we'll end with this, a righteous desire. A righteous desire. Friends, that is what he gives you. If you want to know who Christ is, then you need to know that he has given you everything that you need to live for him by his word, through the local church, through the spirit, by grace to live out. This is tough because others of you need to hear this truth once again. Christian, you need to hear that Jesus died in your place today. You need to be reminded of that. I am accepted because of what Jesus did for me, and I obey out of that. I don't obey out of fear. I don't obey out of a fear of God, yes, but not out of a fear of failure. I said last week, and I'll say it again, God cannot love you more right now than he did when he first saved you. God does not love you less tomorrow. He does not love you less in the next moment. Is there sin in that mix? Yes, there is, but God's love for you never changes. Church, aren't you grateful for that? Others of you, while you know that Jesus can get you into heaven and that you are saved, you are always judging where you stand with God by how well you're doing in keeping the law. Every week you're on trial for how well you've done and based on how well you've done that how God feels about you. Friends, I was like this, and I think to some degree all pastors are like this. Every time someone would come up to me at a church, I'd think, oh, I've got to do this or I've got to do that to be a good Christian. And please hear me, there is a difference there. You know, real Christians read their Bible like every second of every day, even during work hours, right? Real Christians care about the poor. Real Christians do missions. Real Christians are radical, man. That means you wear a Jesus t-shirt to to school every now and then, and you, you wear your WWJD. Checklist, 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 checklist. Friends, let me be very clear. These things are not bad in themselves. They are fruit of faith, but you're looking at it wrong. If you, until you've put your faith in Christ and surrendered to him, God could not love you more. You say, well, why would God do that way? It seems like a whole, if you don't do so good enough, you go to hell and suffer my wrath, and that's a good motivator for me to follow him. Friends, because God is not just after obedience. He's after a new kind of obedience. And that new obedience can never be created by the threats of the law, but only by the wonders of grace in Jesus Christ. See, Darren, you just said we need to follow the law. Yes, we do. But friends, it all points back to what Christ did for us. Church, that's why we want to be gospel-centered in everything that we do here at this church. So where does this leave you today? The application is simply this. You need the one true God in your life. Friends, you don't need some other God. You need the one true God that has been revealed in Scripture. That's what you need. And if you're here today and your life is falling apart because you think life will work better if you were in charge, you are a little Pharaoh in the story of Exodus. And maybe God is sending plagues your way. Maybe not boils over your body or frogs in your bed. It just makes the eebie-jeebies every time I hear it. But it could be that God is sending you in his sovereignty deteriorating health a testing marriage or personal dissatisfaction. And you may be mad at God for all that. But what if that is God's mercy to you, friend, to help you see that you need God in your life? Not just God, but His Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, because that's the second thing. You need Jesus more than you ever know. If you're going to follow these Ten Commandments and follow in the way the Bible says, then you need to look at it through the lens of everything Christ has done for you. The high and holy God, the God of fire and beauty in the mountain, is the only one who can condemn us. But God came down as the God-man and gave his life for us so we might live through him. And as 1 John 5 said, those commandments are not burdensome. Christian, I just want to ask you again, do you desire God more and his son more today than you did yesterday? I pray that we do as that individually, and I pray that we do that as a church. And in there.
You gave me seven extra minutes and we usually give in a sermon. Thank you. But I pray as we go through this study that you look at these commandments and say, Lord, what is it about this that I can honor you in living a gospel-centered life? But Lord, thank you most of all that Christ gave his life for me. Let's pray.